Hey there everybody, my name's Jack Packard. I'm a semi-professional video game enjoyer and remember her to turn my blue light on this time for The Escapist. I'm Nick Landra, the editor-in-chief of The Escapist and I always come prepared. Nick always comes with a blue light. <laughs> this... <laughs> God. <laughs> this oh, oh oh I didn't mean it like that I didn't that's why I thought you were laughing <laughs> gotta call HR real quick that was a faux pas I was like what <laughs> this week on the escapist show we're going to talk about old games we're playing and new games we're trying and in the news we are talking about video game adaptations for television and possible price increases for next generation Jen. Oh boy. Hello and welcome. This is The Escapist Show. But first to the games we've been playing. Nick, what have you been playing this week? Uh, so I'm actually playing a game that's way outside of my wheelhouse. Uh, a JRPG, for a matter of fact, and I haven't Ooh. played a JRPG it's like 13, 14 years ago, I think. Maybe even longer than that. I think the last one I played really was Pokemon Emerald. Um, I have I have Pokemon Sword. I haven't really finished it yet. I just kind of fell out of it. Right. Uh, so the game I'm trying now is Dragon Quest Eleven, And I've never played a Dragon Quest game before this one. So it's been a... Uh, it's been interesting. <laughs> and, and so when you say you haven't really played a JRPG, like, have you never played any of the, like, original Final Fantasies? Nope. Anything like that? Like you like Chrono Trigger, the original Dragon Quests? Nope. No. Okay. The only other JRPG I've ever really tried uh, was Crystal Chronicles, which is ironically getting a remake. Uh, and then I also I just remembered at one point, I think I tried Lost Odyssey on the Xbox 360. Oh, okay. Okay. That's it, though. Just never was sure. never really my thing. I never. I haven't really dabbled in a whole lot of the, like the Japanese side of the games industry too much. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, for some reason, it just never artistically interested me. Uh, it's such a small segment of the industry. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I just never really, growing up, like, I was never really into, like, the animated game, animation, what do you want to call it, anime? Yeah. Uh, that kind of stuff, or, or manga, or anything like that. That was never really my interest. And, uh, it's so funny when you when you say, like, like when you relate, like, anime and manga to to japanese games because to me they're very they're very separate things but of course like you know i do also have to remember like you you grew up playing playstation and playstation 2 games and so we have a a significant age gap where i grew up playing original nes and super nes um and so we just have very different when we were kids experience yeah yeah i mean my my experience growing up as a kid was like halo super smash brothers ratchet and clank jack and daxter right Um, i had a gamecube but i mean i you know i played like super mario sunshine on that and that's a great one maybe a few other of the nintendo exclusives but i never i never got into zelda i never got into what kind of gamer are you don't know a (laughs) zelda Actually, I did. I did play one other JRPG, uh, and it was on the Game Boy Advance, and I played one of the Fire Emblem games back then. Oh, okay, okay. Did you play the one where you had to go outside and it could tell whether you were in light or dark? No, that might not have been Fire. I don't Emblem. know what that was. There was a game. <laughs> there was a game for the Game Boy Advance that actually had a light sensor in it. 
And so you would you would walk around with your Game Boy Advance, and whether you were in light or in darkness, it would like change the game <laughs> aspect. It was no this idea. was a real thing. But uh, yeah, so I'm I'm playing through Dragon Quest XI now. I'm about ten hours into it, um, and I'm actually I'm actually really enjoying it. You know, it's taken some time to kind of get used to that that style of animation and dialogue, like all the grunts and everything. You know, you gotta get used to that. <laughs> uh, the uh, right, ah, oh. and also like I'm maybe stupidly playing with like English dialogue instead of the, the original Japanese dialogue. No, I think it's okay to play with the English dialogue. Well, the, the voice acting is a little very cringy. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> Super cringe. Uh, sure. But I'm, in, I'm enjoying like the lightheartedness of it and the adventure aspect of it, which is why I got hooked onto it. Or at least I wanted to try a JRPG because everything I've been playing lately has been like really dark and serious. And I was like, this, this sounds like a good... Uh, game to try that won't be yeah. like that so along with that one I actually picked up uh, Ni no Kuni as well because the art style is I think worth enough to play that game and I've heard every good thing in the book about yeah. that, that story like playing like, a Studio Ghibli film yep so that's kind of where I'm at right now I've got about uh, I just saw that it takes about 60 to 100 hours to finish this story in this one so I'm like oh shit so, so probably not going to get through it, but you know what? Dabble. Start nope. dabbling. Nope. I, I'm just like Gears Tactics. I'm going to stick with it and finish it. It's going to happen. It's going to take me a month, but it'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to take me a month. <laughs> <laughs> what are you playing? Well, uh, the first game I've been playing is the new game I've been trying, which is a hard space ship breaker. Uh, a game that should only be called Shipbreaker because Hard Space seems like a. I don't even. Is it Hard Space? We played it. Yep. We played it last week. Yeah, we, we tried calling it Hard Ship Space Breaker first. <laughs> That's right, Hard Ship Space <laughs> Shipper, uh, Space Space Breaker. It is a <laughs> zero G work simulator. It's part. A uh, space flight sim where you are maneuvering yourself around in a zero gravity environment, and a part work sim where you are deconstructing spaceships for scrap metal, and it is so much fun. It scratches all those itches of mine. I love space sims. I love space flight sims. Like flying around in space is really neat. Mm. Um, I also really enjoy. Um, that kind of work simulator, like Viscera cleanup detail, is one of my favorites, um, as it just really lets you get into the nitty gritty of things. And so it's it's interesting, it's unique, it's a it's a really fun play. Is that all you're playing? That is not that is not all I'm playing. Uh, that that's the one I'm I'm really like. That's the new one I'm getting into right now. The other one is I am going to the Wayback Machine, and I am playing a game called King's Field. And King's Field was the very first video game by From Software. Hmm. King's Field was the game that Hidetaki Miyazaki, the director of the Souls games, uh, that's the game that he said was his favorite game when he was just a gamer. Uh, there is uh, apparently a ton of influences that Miyazaki took from Kingsfield and brought into the Souls games, and it is—it's interesting. It's like it's like proto Souls. It's so very what is, interesting. What is it? Like I've never heard of this game. It well, it's it's for the PlayStation One. It is a first-person perspective dungeon crawler, basically. Really? Um, it, it's you know very similar, like it's an action RPG. 
Uh, it has, you know, if you die, you have to start, you know, back at, at the spot that you started. Enemies respawn. Incredibly difficult and a very obtuse game. They do not tell you where to go. Uh, the, the first thing that someone will notice if you start playing this game is the control scheme. This is a PlayStation 1 game, but it's from a first-person perspective. And this is before they had joysticks on the controllers, Nick. Oh, God. So it controls like a tank. You press forward on the D-pad to go forward, and then if you want to turn, you press left or right, but you can no longer go forward. So you have to, like... Turn, go that forward. Sounds horrible. Turn, go forward. Oh, it gets even worse if you want to look up or down. It's the shoulder buttons, and then strafing is the other shoulder <laughs> oh, buttons. God. And so, like, it takes five fingers to move freely in the game, and it is tough. Are you playing it on an emulator? No, no, I, I busted out the old PlayStation 2 and found a copy on eBay. How much did you pay for that copy? Uh... So, if you have the original case and instruction, copies are going for almost $200. <laughs> I found one that's just the disc. No case, no instruction manual. That was like 30 bucks. So, I felt Damn. comfortable getting that. Um, so, it's just the disc. Uh, playing on my PlayStation 1 through... Uh, then I have like a, a component or a composite video to HDMI adapter to right, go right, to right. Uh, my recording device and TV. But let me tell you, man, it is a trip. It's it's a very moody and atmospheric game, even though it look by today's standards, it looks like I mean, I'm sure by by the standards of the PlayStation One, it looked like garbage. But does it even does it even like hold up? Or is it is it uh, like really if you have to be like dedicated to even want to play this thing? It's it's really interesting. No, I, th I think you have to be dedicated. I think this is more uh, of a archaeological dig <laughs> where where it's like uh, it's it's looking at the thing that inspired the person who made the thing I love. Like, what inspired them? Mm. And you go through King's Field, and there is, like, mysteries all around, weird monsters, spooky ghosts that stay in, like, a graveyard area, cryptic messages from people you talk to. It's amazing, but, I, I mean, I can't recommend it. It's, it's almost unplayable <laughs> it's by amazing, today's standards. But I hate it. <laughs> well, it's... It's a standards thing, you know. Right, Since the right. discovery of the joystick and 3D movement, <laughs> games have like come a, a long way. Sounds like you should play in an emulator so you can at least remap the controls. Ooh, maybe I am against emulation in general, though. But yeah, so I've been going through that. I also uh, found a cheaper copy of Kingsfield 2 for the PlayStation 1 and uh, Kingsfield the Ancient City for the PlayStation 2. These are 2. all from software. Is that Konami that published it? The uh, Age Tech published Age Tech. it, uh, but this is a From Software game. The, so, like before the Souls series, From Software was known for the Kingsfield series. Known. That's what it's, it's true. Well, and before that, apparently they made productivity software. Right. Well, the only so, thing they didn't they finally become known with like the Armored Core series. Is that what it was? Right. Yeah. 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 So Kings, like I've never heard of Kingsfield. Not never heard even a mention of it. It's what they did before Armored Core. Right. Yeah. No, and, and they these were very popular in Japan, but that's, that's didn't why. sell well over here because, yeah. of course, the extreme difficulty and obtuseness of the controls. But the story goes that uh, during the production cycle of Demon's Souls, which was supposed to be a spiritual successor to Kingsfield, 
the the director was in dismay. The project was all over the place. There was not a cohesive vision. Mm. So Miyazaki took over and basically like took all of his Kingsfield love and dumped it into demons' souls. Which gave us the Souls like, which gave us the games that we now all love, and so I am having a good time digging into these old titles <laughs> and seeing the the seeds, the yeah, seeds right. planted to get the Souls. And and let me tell you, it's not easy, and it's not fun, <laughs> but it's interesting. <laughs> yeah, sounds like the Last of Us Part Two. <laughs> oh, zing! <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, it's, it's it kind of sucks that they won't do a. Uh, Daniel Dwyer has been trying to do a documentary of them, but they just won't do it. He, they won't do a documentary because I, I feel like more people. I don't think feel like very many people even know about this series. About the Kingsfield series, yeah. It's it's interesting. I think I think it deserves a little bit of love. Only, you know, for for those of us who who really enjoy media, it's so much fun to look back at the start of it like if you really like Wes Anderson movies mm-hmm. go back and watch Bottle Rocket the little seeds of what Wes Anderson turns into or the same with like Sam Raimi going back to that original Evil Dead very interesting uh, if you are into Robert Rodriguez you go back and watch El Mariachi if you like the Coen Brothers you watch Blood Simple that's what it was called it was called Blood Simple anyway I'm, I'm just referencing old things because I'm an <laughs> old man but yeah, the point were. is the point is you go back and you look at these things that blossomed into what we know nowadays and it helps give you an understanding of the steps that get us well, there and that's that's if a de- if a developer is still beloved because I'm sure if you go back and see what Bioware started with and where they are now, you're just going to be in a world of pain. <laughs> well, it's different for everyone. Dragon Age, Jade Empires, Star Wars, to Anthem. Boo. I didn't like any of them. Oh. So there you go. I'm not a big Bioware fan. They made a, they made a Sonic, they made a turn-based Sonic the Hedgehog game for the DS. That was all right. You're just sitting into the very weird and obscure today. I, I'm feel I'm feeling a little hipstery. Let me let me have my iced coffee here. <laughs> I thought you were drinking tea. Iced coffee. Yeah. Home home brewed cold brew iced coffee. That's right. Uh, but no, it's that's that's what I've been into this week, and uh, you know what? It's been it's been a lot of fun, except for the controls. The controls really suck. Well, <laughs> I guess I guess we both kind of took a trip back to japan this week so oh there you go (laughs) by way of video games and isn't that fantastic so now on to the news first thing we want to tackle is all the adaptations they're taking video games they're bringing them to television nick how many so many all of them (laughs) yeah so i mean like literally almost this week i think we've had like three or four new ones announced maybe not three Mm -hmm. or four but that's what it feels like um but I, I actually kind of went through and tried to compile a list of everything we know about, and that list is growing and it's growing fast. It's almost like with next gen coming, like people have realized, like maybe video game movies don't work, and we need to make them into TV shows. <laughs> uh, so right off the top of my head, we have um, Halo coming from Showtime, mm-hmm. The Last of Us from HBO. I bet you're real excited for that one. 
you know what i i think it's probably yes, better the, for tv honestly because you think it's a movie already the last of us will make a good tv show there is good drama in there i would <laughs> i would prefer that as a tv show yes uh so halo the last of us uh we just had fallout announced today from for amazon prime and the uh from the writers of hbo's westworld series very exciting i know i'm a big fan of westworld uh fallout in general right that like retro futurism uh old school technology post-apocalypse Ooh, very exciting yeah i'm uh i'm just hoping they get the cgi good for it I, I, sure. don't, I don't know if I've really seen anything from Amazon yet that has heavy CGI use. You watch uh, The Expanse? Yeah, but that didn't start with them. I don't, but I also don't know how much they've added to it since taking it over. Did the, the quality go way up with it, or uh, the the quality remained very consistent, or even uh, up a little bit? Because before it was a sci-fi original, gotcha. so they did not have a huge budget to start with, and and uh, once once they moved over to Amazon, like we, it still looks very good. Yeah, well, I mean, Amazon's been I've been pretty impressed with Amazon, like because Jack Ryan was pretty good as well. Um, but getting back on topic, Cuphead is coming to Netflix. Which, We're getting a Cuphead cartoon. That, that's great. Yeah, I, I I knew about it, but I don't. They just showed off a first look at it the other day, and it looks great. It's uh, it's gonna be fun and adorable. Absolutely. Let's see. Uh, we're continuing The Witcher, continuing Castlevania. Uh, I think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like we're we're at a very strange point now where the the video game market is larger than the movie or TV market. More people play video games right. than they do watch movie or TVs. That's where they spend their money. And so now, like, everyone is hungry to gobble up that property just to help bring people over to their service. Yeah, well, it worked really well for The Witchers, so... Uh, yeah, you know... You know this, and this Halo show has been in development for a while now. Uh, that's the one I'm really excited about, <laughs> obviously. Obviously. I, I, it's cool that like all these these major publishers are picking it up. They're like Showtime and HBO mm -hmm. and, and Netflix, and they're you know these these properties are kind of perfect for those platforms. And Amazon is digging in there too. Amazon is is just trying to gobble like you know what they have the Lord of the Rings. They're trying to gobble a whole bunch. They're trying to be a Disney competitor, uh, and I'm I'm very excited about that. Netflix is in their own ring. Let's remember though, because you mentioned The Witcher. That's based off of the books, not true, the game. True, true, true. So, but people know it because of the games. It's just, I mean, come on. Let's all, let's all be honest. We so, know it because of the games. We'll go half and half on it. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I like that. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited for pretty much all these. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the, the Witcher I thought was okay, but I think, you know, the more things you know i guess it's adapted from the books fine but uh, as far as video game shows the more they do them the more they're going to learn how to do it better and somehow after how many years of making video game movies we still haven't figured that one out so but uh, you know with how trying to adapt that material into a two-hour movie just never works maybe bezos will figure it out for us and then we won't <laughs> have to worry about it yeah so now that we're getting a lot more video game tv adaptions how long do you think it's before david cage just drops out of games and goes straight to netflix I bet you Yahtzee like that. <laughs> it's, you know what, for those of us who complain about story-based games and all these people being just failed movie directors, finally they have an outlet. Just go over to Netflix, stop making games, go over to the Amazon and make your make your warm-hearted TV show. Don't they have like the, the choose-your-own-adventure 
Telltale show on Netflix <laughs> or something. Right. That's right. Well, there you go. You mean just use a TV remote instead of your controller? Yeah. Get out of games. Go back to go back to movies. That's where you wanted to be in the first place. <laughs> I have to have Yahtzee start reviewing TV shows for zero punctuation, <laughs> just just to make him a little bit mad. Next up on the news docket, Nick, we have some we have some possibly scary news about the prices for next gen games. What do you got? I don't know if it's scarier or more not even unsurprising because uh, this has been a long time coming but uh nba 2k 21 has been shown to have a 70 dollars price tag for the next gen version of the game mm. so it seems and this is just speculation right now because i don't think really any other developers have shown their prices yet but right i think i think the next gen versions of games are going to be 70 dollars going forward and inflation is a thing that happens, but we've been sitting at that $50, $60 range for a while now. Yeah, yeah, and people, I mean, analysts have been saying for years that we need to increase the price of games, and that's also mm -hmm. in conjunction with why we have so much microtransactions now, because people want their DLC for free, so microtransactions, you know, keep raising the money to keep building on those games, and, you know. <laughs> well, so here's here's kind of the scummy part about it, right? Mm -hmm. So NBA 2K21 and all that has the the My League stuff or whatever it's called, and that's all microtransaction based. Like that's how those games thrive and just make buckets of money. So okay. it's kind of weird, at least in my opinion, to increase the price of your game if you're already a games as a service type of game and keep racking in that revenue. Uh, because it makes more sense for like a game like The Last of Us Part 2 to be $70 mm -hmm. because it's a one-and-done game. There's no extra add-ons or anything. You know, so you spend, like, let's say, $100 million to make that game. You get that one-time purchase. It takes $100 mm -hmm. million to make NBA 2K21. Well, you get your one-time purchase plus all the microtransactions on top of that. Sure. Well, I think there's one really important element to game development that you are forgetting about, which is greed. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, until the C until the CEOs stop making bucket loads of money while everybody else is being paid chunk change, you know, nobody's going to be really okay with those price increases because we know that money's not going to the people that actually earn it. Exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, is this money going to go to, like, relieve uh, crunch, relieve abusive work conditions? Absolutely not. No, it's going to give them more padding so they do more crunch. <laughs> Exactly. So, I mean, as, as a, like, I guess our perspective is kind of different on it because, you know, we get a lot of games for free as, as critics and all that. Mm -hmm. um, so we're not going out and buying, you know, two or three games a month really anymore. But, uh, well, you are. You buy weird stuff, though. I do. I buy lots of weird games. But, yeah, I, I don't know how much there is really to say about it that we haven't already said because, like, this has been coming for a while, like, People have been saying for years that prices on games should increase. Well, and that's like that's the natural state of the world is, you know, just inflation, right? right. Like things cost more uh, today than they did 10 years ago. That's perfectly normal. It is. Like, can you already think about it? Like $70, though. It's like, you know, I'm like, I'm paying almost $100 for a piece of media. Yeah, that's insane. Absolutely. It's, it's just insane well, how much it costs. <laughs> And then, you know, like for, for me, it's always like that calculation hour uh, or, you know, dollar per hour of fun. Right. Where it's like I I, I want a at least a, a solid, you know, 10 hours of fun if I'm putting down 60 bucks and now I'm putting down 70 bucks and I, I feel like 
I feel like we, uh, as, a, as a medium, uh, video games are finally getting to a solid point where we understand now more about how they're made. So we can start to standardize the process. And, you know, we went through this in movies too, back in the, back in the movie days, back in the big studio days, before we had like workers unions. We, we had a very similar situation to what we have in the video games industry, where just the people on top were making all that money and setting prices and trying gimmicks to sell movies and all the, all the workers suffered. And hopefully video games as a collective can come together, unionize, and really change that dynamic so that the actual artists are getting paid, not the people at the top. And then we can start to see prices reflect, you know, how much a game actually costs to make. Yeah, I mean, getting into unionization is a whole other topic I don't really want to delve too far into, but um, <laughs> I would say it's going to be a long I think it's going to be a long time before game developers figured out how to unionize because uh, and I, you know I'll probably get blasted for this one but you are you're oh you're shilling already yeah no, we I'm, hear not, it. I'm not shilling um, <laughs> it's more that like over all the years that I've done this all the interviews I've done I've talked to a lot of developers that don't know how they feel about unionization Mm -hmm. And when they go out and try to ask questions about it or try to learn more or try to learn what benefits and what negatives are to it, if you're not for it, you're immediately attacked for it, right? Mm -hmm. So even, yeah. even as of like six months ago, I was trying to do some interviews about just, I just want to hear what concerns they have about unionization because it's a net positive you think, right? Yeah. But you don't know because you're not a game developer, right? So a lot of them won't even go on the record about unionization because they're so afraid of the backlash for even asking questions about it. And and shouldn't that tell you all you need to know? Like, Well, that's to, not coming from me. just the corporate side, though. That's coming from the people that automatically say unions are good, here's why we should do it, without listening to people that might disagree or might have a different take on I'm it. A, I'm a believer, I'm a believer in, in general unionization being a good thing. Obviously, there are there are outliers, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, if you're in the media industry like we are, you know, like unions are good. Unions protect you, especially with advertising groups having the control that they do mm. and basically <laughs> saying, here's how much you're going to make based off how many page views you get or how many people buy your game or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, yeah, it'd be nice to have standardization, and I know developers want unionization, but I mean, how old is the games industry now? Forty years old, still pretty young. Yeah, well, that, and we just like, how often do you see conversations actually happening about unionization that aren't on social media, or people actually <sighs> getting to ask the questions that need to be asked about mm -hmm. how are we going to implement it, how is it going to benefit or negatively affect me? Mm -hmm. Well, and I think like to wrap that up basically with pricing is as prices increase, customers are going to flip out a little bit because, you know, customers don't like that. And so then the studios have to answer that. The game developers need to answer that. And it, hopefully it starts a conversation about where that money actually goes. Yeah. And to me, that's that's like step one is like, oh, we know like all this money goes to, you know, the heads of the studios and very little goes here. But yet I'm paying more money. We're just starting a conversation. Well, that's all. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, I, I hope I hope the price increase. Like, I don't know. It's going to be it's going to be rough at the start because like I, I think right away people are going to be like, OK, you want me to pay ten dollars more? And then charge me for all these microtransactions too. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. And so, like, I, I think 
there's gonna need to be like a like a sliding scale for games like your games as a service and you're making bank off microtransactions too maybe you're stay at that $60 point if you're a single player one time purchase narrative game then you're at that mm -hmm. $70 point I don't know I, all I know is like I saw on Twitter this morning the developers already talking about indie developers are actually kind of excited that the price point was going to increase by $10 because that gives them more wiggle room to price their games more appropriately because mm -hmm. right now like I think the expectation for an indie game whether you're really an indie game or not is like I think the twenty the top well yeah the top here is like thirty dollars probably is what people yeah, expect yeah, that to seems pay about right twenty thirty bucks and yeah. then forty for like a double A game and then sixty for triple A yeah yeah so yeah you know <laughs> I guess for better or worse uh, indie developers and double A developers might start making some more money because they might charge forty dollars as a base fee for indie games and fifty dollars for the double A and then seventy mm. for triple A. <laughs> <laughs> and then you got Microsoft coming in with their quadruple A. <laughs> so how, maybe ninety dollars. How can we how can we make up a BS term for us to get more money? I know we'll add another A. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> well, before we're at sink away. Ooh. That is five. That is five. I, I <laughs> did it. I had to count. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco. Seis. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, seis, siete, ocho, nueve, diez. Once, once, trece. I remember grade school Spanish. I feel like you learn something new every show. So that's it. What a fun show we did, because we just did it. Once again, I'm Jack Packard, a semi-professional video game enjoyer here for The Escapist. I'm Nick Landro, the editor-in-chief of The Escapist. Please don't hate me for questioning unionization. <laughs> You're going to get it. That's not... <laughs> hey, I'm for it. I'm for it. There we go. That's what we needed to hear you say. <laughs> I'm for it. I just, I just hope I can actually see conversations about it. <laughs> there we go. Just quick, dig up, Nick. Dig up. It's <laughs> my fucking shovel. All right, bye. I'm gonna go continue digging myself out of a hole.